Welcome to the Truth of the Matter Is podcast. I'm your host, Daniel, alongside Jonathan, and we are back for episode number 102. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we want to let you know that we appreciate you for listening in today. Yeah, before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who have decided to join us today. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play during your own time. All right, Dane, before we get started, anything interesting happened to you this week at all? Um, I would say that the only thing that really happened to me that was interesting was it was good to sit back and, and watch the Lord work. Mm. You know, when you have people who come at you or handle you in, in a manner that's disrespectful, and you sit back and you treat them with kindness and then watch the person also get fired, you know, not that it's a revenge sort of thing, but it was out of my hands. You know, I did everything that I could to try to rectify the situation, but watching, um, watching God step back and work and, and take care of, take care of me and uh, others at the, at my job and get rid of the destructive force was, was a good, was a good thing to see. Wow. We'd love to hear more about that offline, but sounds pretty interesting. Before we get started, there's something that happened to me yesterday, by the way. So I was doing a drop off and I proceeded to my car and I got stopped by three gentlemen. And the three gentlemen asked me a question. They said, do you believe in God? And I said, yes. They said, do you believe in also God, the mother? So I started laughing immediately. And I said, oh, my God, (laughs) these people are in error. And as I persisted to keep walking towards the car, he said, would you like me to show me show you? And I said, oh, sure. So he takes me to Galatians, I believe, chapter four, verse 26, and took that complete scripture out of context. And, you know, as important as Bible believing believers here. Again, Bible-believing believers or Christians here on this podcast, that is important that you have a healthy hermeneutics, a healthy hermeneutic. Now, if you don't know what that means, I suggest you go back to the very first episode when myself and Daniel gave you a layout on what that is, and it's to help you interpret a text. We don't believe in cherry-picking verses and creating an, a whole different ideology or theology out of it so you want to be cautious of that and you know i think eric my friend who i do bible study with who also influenced the bible study reflections solo with friends you know it's basic reading comprehension one-on-one and for those who are, are eager to know what passes i'm talking about Again, it's Galatians chapter 4, verse 26. And I want you to read the whole chapter to really understand. And here's another thing. Anytime someone brings something to you, one of the very more important things you need to be aware of is that church that you're dealing with, always be cautious to check out what their mission statement is. Because the mission statement tells you exactly what you need to know. 
before you go into that church. So I'll just read you something that they have in their mission statement that tells you automatically that it is an alarm to be cautious of it. So when I check the mission statement, it says many people believe that there is only one God, God, the father. However, the Bible testifies that there is God, our father in heaven. And they're referencing Mark chapter six, verse nine. And also that the Jerusalem that is above is free. She is our mother. Galatians chapter four, verse 26. The church of God. This is the church, by the way. The church of God believes that God, the father and God, the mother on the basis of the Bible. So, of course, we understand that, you know, we believe in the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And this is a red flag. Now, before we move on to prayer, obviously, I want to read a verse of scripture that. I think it's important to have in your, your, your hearing and to think about moving forward. And this comes out of 2 John chapter 2, verse 7 through 11. And this is what it says. Actually, let me start at verse 5. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one you have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another and that this is love, that we walk in obedience to his command. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that we walk in love. Now, this is the very important point I want everyone to hear too. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh has gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teachings has both the father and the son. Notice it doesn't say anything about the mother, right? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them in. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So this is a Bible-based podcast. We love to use hermeneutics. We like to read things in, co in context. And we like to read before and after verses and chapters. So just be aware of the sheep, the sheep's and wolf's clothing that you run into and you encounter. Be careful. Be mindful. Be cautious. And remember, study yourself approved unto the Lord. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it gently and respectfully and continue to learn and understand God's word for yourself so that when you encounter people like I encountered yesterday, you will be prepared to have conversation and dialogue with them. Anything you want to add, Daniel, before we dive into prayer? Yeah, if you want to believe in God, the mother, go ahead. <laughs> This wants you to be cautious of that. The same way that we have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's ideology and New Age things out there that believe in the mother, the daughter, and the Holy Soul. Just be cautious of these ideas because they're not biblical. But people like to morph these ideas into what we believe and lead people astray. Just be cautious of it. With that being said, we're going to jump right into prayer. I was going to say, though, okay. I, I think it's cool to believe what you want to believe. 
but when you start trying to teach it, I think that's where you're going to go astray. Mm. Yes. We, so, we, just, so just be careful with that. We on here do not deter anyone from their beliefs. They're entitled to believe whatever it is. We believe it's a choice. But on this podcast, we stand firm in the word of God. And obviously, we have a mission statement. Anyone that looks up our podcast, the mission statement is right there about what we're trying to do here and what we're trying to motivate and encourage you to do as well. So we're here as just a tool to help employ you in your walk and your journey into learning and understanding God for yourself. Okay, so we're going to jump right into prayer now. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, Lord, you said for where there are two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And with that being said, we take your appearance to be comforting. We believe that it is a blessing. We also appreciate your time, Lord, and we do not take it for granted. As we go to your word today, we ask for wisdom to discern and the courage to choose the truth that is in you. We must understand that it is impossible to please you without faith. So, Lord, help us to have faith in you. Help us to believe. Let your word speak to us. Let it move in on us in ways it never did before. Help those who are still on the fence open up their eyes, their ears, their hearts, their minds to the instruction of your word. Lord, I testify that you have spoken to me through it. So I am trusting that you will do the same for others. If not today, let it be at any moment moving forward for them. Lord, you told us to ask and then keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. When you keep on asking, seeking and knocking, you have promised that the person who is doing that will hear from you, Lord. And that you hear our prayers, Lord. Whatever timing that might be, let it be the correct timing, Lord. We believe that every day moving forward, and with that being said, we say these things in Jesus' name and all in agreement say, Amen. Amen. And so let's dive in. The following week, we spoke about Jesus Christ coming to earth to fulfill what we couldn't, and that's the law. This week, we're going to focus on why Jesus Christ is the only one who is capable of fulfilling God's perfect standard. In scripture, Jesus made a very important comment in the Gospel of Luke. So let's revisit it. We're going to look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 22. And I want to start midway through verse 22. Daniel. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except. God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. So the reason why I asked Zane to read this is because Jesus is declaring that there is only one who is good, and that is God. He also is referencing the commandments which comes from the first covenant contract that God put in place as a measuring tool what Jesus does from verse 22 to verse 23 is very important he speaks about what should be familiar to them in their hearing and he fully explains how deep the law goes while seemingly raising the standard of its requirements 
Jesus ultimately makes a suggestion. Daniel, can you read verses 22 through 23 in Luke 18? When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So this verse today will help jumpstart our text for today as part one, and it will be also a part two. We are taking a look at Matthew chapter five, and we're going to slowly go through verses 21 through 32 and verses 33 through 48 will be covered in part two. We're going to take this a little bit at a time. The reason why is because it's important that we stop and unpack things and be, of course, thorough. So the title of this podcast is called The Unattainable Perfect Standard of God. Again, it's called The Unattainable Perfect Standard of God. After today, you would understand why we titled today's podcast just that. So let's start with Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin with verses 21 through 26, and we're going to look at this in the English Standard Version. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the consul. And whoever says, You fool! will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So first thing that Jesus does here is he reminds the people of a commandment that they should be familiar with from the Torah. Now, the Torah has five books in it, and it's the same books within our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The text and verse that Jesus is referencing is actually Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 for context to those who want to review it and see the cross referencing that's transpiring. Then Jesus does what? He seemingly unpacks the law's meaning deeply and it comes off as if he is raising the standard even higher. And I, and I pondered on this idea and I said, well, it's sort of like a parable, right? A parable really is really means to walk alongside. And there's an understanding of a parable from a natural perspective and a spiritual perspective, right? And when we look at faith, and we know faith is the substance of things hopeful, the evidence of things not seen. Any parable, any statement that Jesus provides and tells us, there's an element that is seen from the natural, and there's an element that is seen from the spiritual. And I think when we look at the law in its context, there's a basic understanding of it. And then there's a much more mature, deeper understanding of it. And I believe what Jesus is doing here is he's revealing almost like an onion, right? He's unpacking this meaning in a much more deeper and profound way until you get to the center of it, which really shows you how deep this law can be and how it can be applied, right? So the first thing Jesus does is that. He wants us to understand how deep 
God's standard is. And I don't think it was a mistake by Paul who wrote in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 which says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The truth of the matter is, God's perfect standard is something we cannot obtain. I'll say that one more time. The truth of the matter is, God's perfect standard is something in our current state, in our law state, in our condition, cannot obtain. This is the reason why God came to earth to fulfill what we couldn't, right? This is the reason why through the life and person of Jesus Christ, he needed to, in order to redeem us. The following week, we spoke about Jesus fulfilling the law for us all, right? And if we all put our faith in him for context, we will be saved. Now, Daniel, can you, read, can you read Romans chapter 3? We're going to look at the whole element of what I just said in Romans 3, 23. But we're going to look at it a little further in the context. So let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26 in the English Standard Version. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward first as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbiddance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This was done for a particular reason. And Paul tells us also in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, the reasoning. Let's look at that in the Amplified Version. Daniel? For it is by grace, God's remarkable compassion and favor drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment, and given eternal life through faith. And this salvation is not of yourself, not through your own effort, but it is the undeserved, gracious gift of God, not as a result of your works, not your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for his salvation. Yeah, so you can imagine what it would be if people had the ability to boast. And we understand also that if anything that we should boast, we should boast that we know God not in anything that we have and our riches and any of those things that we have obtained over a period of time. Remember, we are not in a works-based religion. Again, we are not in a works-based religion. We are in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But on the contrary, I do want to say this, and I would say that my walk with Christ has been maturing. You know, when people come to Christ, they come to them, come to Christ at different stages. For someone like me, I believe my encounter with Christ is very relationship based. For others, they view it more in the context of a religion. And I think both are fine. I think it's okay that if you see what you are doing and your connection with God, it's more of a religion based. I don't totally dismiss that. And the reason why I don't totally dismiss that is because the state that a person is in and where they are now, their commitment to God might be a bit more strict and they might need that. 
versus someone like me that understands that when Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, I come that you may have life, that have it abundantly, that abundance is freedom, it allows me to understand that in Galatians where it says don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nation I'm talking about Galatians chapter 5 verse 30 there's an understanding that there's you'd have to have the right temperament and how you exercise your faith and for some people they need a bit more of a restrictive state because of their tediousness to go far go far off so for others, you can exercise that freedom as you go and you learn as you begin to walk in Christ. And for, for some other people, they need the strictness because if the strictness isn't there, then they were, they'll start to doze off. They'll start to lose their way. So there's a reason there's a state and a level for some people when it comes to their faith in Christ than for others. And I think it's important that we all should be respectful of the temperament that a person is using and let them grow into how important and how rigid they're going to be in this walk with Christ. And I think we should allow that measurement to take place within the individual's leisure. Now, I want to take a look at what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is letting us know that the standard of judgment doesn't just come in a case but dealing with murder doesn't just come in a case when dealing with murder it also happens in your associations with your brother and sister let's look at a passage in first john chapter 3 verse 11 through 18 in the niv so that you can see what i'm saying here for context daniel well this is the message you heard from the beginning we should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Very good. So what is suggested that Jesus tells us? We go to verse 23 through 24, Daniel. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus wants us to make peace. There's a passage of scripture in Romans chapter 12, verse 16 through 18, that tells us to live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay 
anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So that means, if possible, make sure to leave things settled and not unsettled. Now let's unpack verses 25 through 26, Daniel. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is providing a word of wisdom here when it comes to strictness of the law, and he is advising that we do not lean into the standard, which brings me to a specific passage of scripture in first corinthians that is worth mentioning again jesus is advising the people to settle matters among themselves peacefully instead of putting the matter in the justice system he wants to let people know that if it's up to the justice system the punishment is harsher and the relief is non-existent this is why he says in the end you must repay every dime because when you're in the justice system, you're at the mercy of the justice system. And usually the justice system does not provide mercy. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 in the NLT to hear Paul's suggestion and its relation to what Jesus is speaking about and also warning us about. Daniel? When one of you has a dispute with another believer... How dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to the judge, and since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you have legal disputes in such matters, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another right in front of unbelievers. Uh, any thoughts, Daniel? Funny enough, I was listening to the, the book of 1 Corinthians this week. It was one of the verses that uh, I took some time to, to think about. Huh. And just the entire matter that was going on in, with Paul's letter to the church about a lot of the disputes that was going on in, in 1, Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians was, was stuff that was really outlandish. Um, so this particular verse... I think it's a lot of the times people quarrel over, over silly things. Huh. And I think it is right that if you have a dispute or a problem with somebody that you should be able to work it out or you should be able to come to some type of resolution. And if you don't, you know, wash your hands clean of it and let God handle it. But I do agree that the world does give sometimes unjust punishments for For things that are, yes, they're wrong, but your entire life, I don't know. It's not really my my first choice. 
if you can just if you can settle on a personal matter and both people have the integrity to come to a resolution, then it should always go that direction first. Yeah. Remember, one of the reasons Jesus showed up is because the Pharisees and Sadducees did not provide mercy or grace. And that's one of the things Jesus introduced them to in regards to why his appearance was necessary. Right. He talked about them not lifting the finger while the stress was on people's backs. They wouldn't even assist. And it had a lot to do with cultural behavior. And talking about them not lifting a finger had a lot to do with the royalty and the disposition others were in. And the places of, of I would say, glory and, and human worship in regards to their positions and the, the council came a lot. I would say what advantages and those advantages they exercised to its fullest that allowed them to get away with a lot of things. One of the reasons why they want to kill Jesus is that very thing. He was pointing out the hypocrisy that they were exercising in and Jesus showing up and, and pointing some of the things they were doing that no one else might've been intelligent or actually fearful of really brought to the light exactly what was happening within the culture and why things need to be shaken up. So, you know, it's very interesting that you, you bring that up and whatnot. So, as I was saying, this is a very similar passage as to what Jesus is saying in its exact context when it comes to why he spoke up and why he was trying to give them a word of advice of wisdom moving forward. So let's move on to verse 27 through 30 in Matthew 5. Daniel. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body going to hell. So the standard here is how can, you know, the standard here is truly, you know, Jesus is raising this meeting to a higher level of difficulty to obtain, even sustain, right? The passage that Jesus is referencing here is Exodus 20:14. Now what makes the standard of God so difficult is that no one is able to meet those requirements. With that being said, let's just think about what Jesus is saying here. Everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a completely different ideology that's raised here, right? And it's kind of diving into different realms of possibilities, right? And this is what I mean. The fact that you're imagining it may not be wrong in human standards, but to God, it's all the more wrong. It's the intent that's the problem, which means that a lot of us, and I would say even myself, their desires we all want, 
and there are points that we believe those desires need to be met. Of course, based upon a biblical point of view, it should be happening within the confines of marriage where God is blessing those actions. However, the reality is, in a world we are surrounded by acts of temptation, right? But before we get to that, I kind of want to dive back into this a little bit more from a philosophical standpoint. You know, the question that people always bring up when it comes to the difference between the thought and the idea is that the thought is something that you can work through. And eventually it either becomes the idea in action or the idea of a reserved consideration, but then something else might deter you or you might overcome that. Again, in the human standard, I believe a lot of our choices and the things that we do and the decisions that we make, we go through this processing before we actually do it. And for some people, it's of second nature. They just act immediately after the ideas come through. And, you know, as a man, who likes to think critically, I've taken time out to really evaluate why I would do something before I would do it. And maybe for others, it comes at a place where they've already considered everything and then they're acting. But the mere fact that we've considered the idea is why God's standard is so high. For you to consider the idea, the possible idea, is evidence, right? And we talked about the Beatitudes in chapter 5 about the heart. The fact that you've thought of it, the fact that it's there, is evident that technically you're not good. And what happens is, when God gives us a new heart, we said Ezekiel 20, 36, 26, and Hebrews 8, 10, the ideas and thoughts that come in that aren't yours, were well, well, able to exit them immediately, or we're not able to think about those things often because God's given us new ideas and new thoughts. And if they're focused on God, those ideas and thoughts that we have start to dwindle a little bit at a time. Do we get rid of it completely? No. I don't think we ever get rid of it completely. But it's about having new thoughts and ideas in a much more positive act than to have those ideas weighing on you. And then based on circumstance, those ideas and thoughts that might show up might be actually decisions that a person ultimately makes. Now, before we go into the temptations, I, it would be remiss not to ask Daniel what his thoughts are about this whole idea. In regards to this standard, because it's a very difficult standard. So what are your thoughts, Daniel? Um, In terms of the actual scripture that we just, that I read out loud. Yeah. I always thought it was strange where, for example, I'll share a story. I was um checking somebody out because I was working as a backup cashier for a while. And this guy comes over to me. He's like, oh, man, look at this girl. What do you think? And in my head, it will be as simple as, well, she's just a girl. And then she's there with a man. And he starts to start talking about her private parts, right? Mm. And I'm just sitting there like... This is not the first time a, a guy has come up to me and then say if I if I peeked that or if I seen it. And in my head it's always like, no, I don't I'm not paying attention to that. So I have found that to be weird, but I always know that's when somebody's committing adultery in their heart. 
Because I'm like, if that's what you're looking at her for, then then there's an issue. And I could, it's it's always been strange to me. So I don't think everybody has thoughts like that. Mm-hmm. But I I do run into it with with guys quite a bit. Yeah, they're lusting after a person rather than loving who they are, and, and or just loving them as a person in general, right? And I guess those are influence, which brings us to the next point because I think this draws it all together, right? So the reality is the world we the world we're in is surrounded by acts of temptation, and this temptation is everywhere, right? John told us in First John chapter two, verse sixteen to seventeen, what Daniel. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. So how easy it is how easy is it for a young man or a young lady to fall into the traps of the world? Very easy. There are some who haven't, and there are some who have. The point is the standard of God is very high. And this is the reason why He provides us with grace and mercy, because He is aware of the challenges. Right? Another thing God does not do is he does not tempt you now i know a lot of people come up with this idea that god is part of the reason why things are happening and one of those reasons is the idea of being tempted now i want to repeat that god does not tempt you in fact in the book of james chapter 1 verse 13 through 15 this is what it says when tempted no one should say god is tempting me for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Yeah, I mean, it's self-explanatory. That's why there are some people that go out and, and feel the need to rape. There are some people that go out and feel the need to molest. Because eventually, the desires that you have that's boiling within your mind, if you don't get them under control, eventually it'll be put into action you know our mom always used to say if you lie you're still well i think it's if you cheat if you lie you're cheat you cheat you're still if you're still you're kill right it talks about a progressive movement of one decision that you do that can ultimately lead to another unfortunately and this is why it's important that you know caution and Things done to the extreme lead to error. So you want to sort of get those things under control. And if you don't, it gives full birth eventually to a point where the sin is out of control. And now you're doing anything, if anything, you're doing anything at any time in order to fill that void. Right. And that's when it becomes extremely dangerous and it could put yourself and others in jeopardy. Okay. So that's why it's important that we are supposed to war against our flesh. We're supposed to fight against it. Because if we don't, ultimately, it's going to lead us down paths of decisions that we are ultimately going to regret later. Now, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. So the similarities, the things we're familiar with. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Very powerful verse here. And this is the reason that Jesus is the only person who walked through life sinless, right? You know, the passage I bring up all the time, Hebrews 4.15, who 
who who's been through the experiences that we have and yet did not sin, right? You want to check that verse out, you're entitled to do so. But I want to look at Gospel of John 8, verse 46. And it says, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Can you truthfully accuse me of sin? Was his question. And the answer at the time was no. Now, I want us to address the statement from Jesus. Moving on into the text we're looking at today. Daniel? If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. But it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So when you read this passage of scripture, you need to understand that Jesus isn't isn't speaking in a literal sense. If he was, I'm sure a lot of us will have one eye and one arm. He's speaking figuratively. Which means whatever is causing you to sin, work on addressing it and Start warring against it. So here's an example. Let's say you've been told that you have a fresh mouth or you've been rude at times. Okay? This is an example, by the way. Well, that means what you ought to do is to work on being cautious. Why? Because you don't want to say something at the wrong time that can cause you trouble, your life, problems that you can't get out of, and ultimately a punishment that might be justified because you didn't adhere to the idea that you needed to correct it. So that takes me into the book of James, right? And we're warned about our tongue. So let's go to James chapter three. And I want Daniel to read verses two through 12 so that we can see what's going on here. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we could turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steeled by their very small rubber whenever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and it itself sets on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. When the tongue, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have never been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and curses. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives? or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce water. Great job. I want to make one correction there. What Daniel really meant is who have been made in God's image. So we were all made in God's image. Just want to make sure we clear that up. So, as Daniel put it, life and death is in the power of the tongue. 
Therefore, the things we say can be detrimental and can also be influ influential. But the point of me bringing this example up is for me to implore you to use wisdom and discernment when you speak. And of course, to be very cautious. It is important to understand your situation and surroundings. And when you do that, you'll realize how much of a difference it can make and how things can play out, whether that be in a positive or in a negative outcome. Before we move forward, Daniel, is there anything you want to say in regards to things that can get us into trouble besides the tongue? You know when you're doing right and when you're doing wrong, follow that instinct. Okay, well said. So we're going to end with verses 31 through 32 in Matthew 5, and this is specifically dealing with marriage. So, Daniel? It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immortality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, I'm going to make this very clear. Another very difficult here. As one who loves history, I think it's important to know that, you know, when we look at history in these parts of the world at the time, biblical history also, is that history tells us that during this time in Jewish culture, the reasoning for divorce was nonsensical. Rather than desiring to work things out, the reasoning of splits, of the splits, were actually very small and picky. Now, for those who don't know, a marriage is a bonding or a bounding contract under the law. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, this. Daniel? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So this is something that Paul tells us. Now let's jump to verse 39 and see what it says. Again, it's still Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to verse 39. Daniel? A woman is bound to her husband as long as he believes, but if her husband, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. Now, this is, a, of course, a stand in, in the biblical context, by the way. And I believe Daniel said as long as he lives, right? A woman is bound to hus her husband as long as he lives. Now let's go to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 in the NIV. Daniel? Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives? For an example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then... If she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, of course, the reason why we looked at these scriptures is because by the law, they are under a contract. And when that contract has been broken by the people for years, and this is dealing with Jewish culture, of course, the reasoning was not really justified. According to Jesus, the only justifications for the breaking of it is sexual immorality. 
Lastly, I want to take a look at Matthew 19. Now, I know we're jumping ahead a little bit, but Jesus addresses something he says in reference to what we're speaking about. We're going to look at just verses 4 through 8. Daniel? Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife? and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. So to sum up really quickly, Moses enabled them. Why did you leave out the second part to that? Because it's a, it's actually it's a lot more deep context, and it's something of an idea that I want to revisit again. Okay. Yeah, but the reason why I've included this portion of it because it really stems back to the idea that just because God enabled Moses to allow them to have a contract for divorce, it will later be revisited. Because every marriage is supposed to be a replica of Christ and the church, right? That's the perfect example. Whatever is brought together should not be separated and speaks towards God's intention of marriage from the beginning. And therefore, once that is broken, right, for whatever reason, we get from Christ, Jesus, that there's one reason in particular that's okay. But for every other reason that's not stemmed in that, but it's done in a selfish matter or a matter that doesn't make sense, those are the ones that I believe Jesus wants to bring about, right? Again, according to Jesus, what God brings together, in fact, should not be separated. There's a reason why he brought you two together, right? Of course, if you believe in God, right? Because we know there are some marriages that aren't blessed by God and there are some marriages that are. So you believe that God brought you together for a greater purpose because marriage isn't just about, you know, romanticism. It's also about a mission that God has for both of you and how you can help the kingdom ultimately. So if you're under that belief, do you know that your goal should not be separated? However, based upon culturally at the time, there were a lot of selfish reasons that encouraged a lot of Jewish men to separate from their wives, right? And we can get into that next time. And I have a bit more of a detailed explanation and some research that I'll do so that you can see exactly what I'm talking about. But for today, unless there's anything Daniel wants to add, we're going to move on to devotion because there's a lot of scriptures we've gone through and mentioned. and here we like to bring up these verses of scripture so that we can understand the context a little bit more. We let scripture interpret scripture. So is there anything else, Dan, that you would like to add or comment on? No, nothing more. Okay. So with that being said, we move to devotional time. When people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice hospitality. Romans chapter 12 verse 13 and that's out of the NLT version. The Hebrews were urged to show kindness to strangers 
to show hospitality by taking them into their homes. In the book of Job, chapter 31, verse 32, they were expected to feed them and were responsible to protect guests under their roof. These days, such hospitality is rare. With so much crime and users eager to take advantage of people, it's considered dangerous and unadvisable. But the Bible still says, always be eager to practice hospitality. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, in the NLT version that we just read, it added, so let's look at other ways of showing hospitality. What about when a new family comes to your church Does it, and doesn't know anyone and needs friends? Are you eager to practice hospitality? Do you and your wife invite them over for lunch? Or do you help them get settled into your town? What about when families in your church are struggling without basic needs, without warm clothes, foods, or other necessities? Do you reach out in practical ways to help them? Same with people that you encounter in your everyday life. Are you being kind towards people? If you know you see somebody in food the street, if you see somebody in the streets who may need food, do you give it to them? There's so many acts of impractical ways to help people. And there are many ways to be a lover of hospitality today. So, Father, help me to be eager to practice hospitality. Help me to welcome new people to my church and to befriend new Christians and to find ways to help them. And you holy name, we say amen. Amen. Okay, end recording in three, two, one.